Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Necessary Roughness Podcast, episode number 169, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all enjoyed the wonderful week one that was of the NFL season, and it was quite an eventful week one. We'll try to go through the news and notes from everything. We'll go through some recaps, preview week two, and obviously touch on some of the bigger talking points. You know, we're going to break down the Aaron Rodgers-less Jets at some point in here. Aaron Rodgers-less, rather. Um, yeah, and the week that was for the New York football Giants. Bad week for New York sports. Also had Jason Dominguez for the New York Yankees, a top prospect go down. Wow, wow, wow. What a year it's been for New York sports. But this isn't a New York show. This is an NFL show. And we're going to get started with the first edition for the 2023-2024 NFL season with my standout seven. As per usual, the first handful, we're going to go with the bigger story. Number one, let's get started with a couple of playoff powerhouses from last year. Bigger story, and we're keeping it negative at the front end. You know what sells. You know what goes to the front of every news cycle. We got to go with some negativity. However... We'll throw some positive vibes in there at the end, as we always do. Bigger story, the loss by the Cincinnati Bungles in Cleveland, or the Minnesota Vikings week one loss, not week two loss, that is. Um, yeah, man, a weird one here. A weird one here, and I say that because as someone who was kind of out in front of and look, I say out in front like it's already happened. Out in front of the Cleveland Browns being a decent team this year, I did not expect 80 passing yards out of Joe Burrow on the road in Cleveland. I did not expect that in the slightest. Jamar Chase, five catches for 39. Um, on the Cleveland side, nothing super-duper impressive in the passing game. Buck 50, a touchdown and a pick for Deshaun Watson. However... 45 yards for him on the ground, and Nick Chubb and Jerome Ford combined for 33 carries for 142 yards. This was ground-and-pound football from the Cleveland Browns, and it worked. It really worked. The Bengals could not get anything going. Mixon, 13 for 56 on the ground, okay. Um, but if that's the highlight of your offense, clearly you got worked, and they did. Am I concerned as someone who had the Bengals going far and fast this season? A little bit, if we're being honest. Uh, however, we've seen Joe Burrow perform. We've seen the Cincinnati Bengals team perform. I think we're going to see a completely different team in Week 2 against the Baltimore Ravens than we did in Week 1 against the Cleveland Browns. It's still a massive loss. The other one, the Minnesota Vikings, and this is another one I should have seen coming. If you listen to our preseason picks episodes, if you did, thank you. If not, feel free to go back. They haven't aged poorly yet, but I'm sure they will. I was one foot on, one foot off the Tampa Bay Buccaneers bandwagon. I said, you know, I thought Baker would be good last year. It didn't work out, obviously. Why am I going to bait myself into picking another Baker Mayfield-led team? And uh, I erred on the side of caution. I said, you know what, let's take the Vikings. Baker looked pretty darn good, to the point where they were discussing if he knew what was coming 
from the other team, and he had to go tongue-in-cheek and say, I'm more of a Rangers guy than an Astros guy. Uh, a non-answer answer, but I respect it. Did the Buccaneers look all that impressive? Not really. Their defense looked okay. Um, Kirk Cousins throwing the ball to the other team in this one. Comes back to bite them when you lose 20-17. to 10-10 at halftime. This was a pretty even game all around, if we're being honest. I was very unimpressed with the Vikings' run game, and I know they're running into a team with Vita Vea in the middle and a pretty decent linebacking core in terms of tackling proficiency, but Madison against the Eagles in Week 2, which we'll get into later, eight carries for 28 yards. Madison in Week 1 against the Buccaneers, 11 carries for 34 yards. I'm a believer in Alexander Madison. 0-2, I think the... I'm not saying they're going to bench him or anything, but I think there needs to be a little bit more creativity to find some gaps in that running game because I don't think Kirk Cousins has played particularly... I was going to say awful. I mean, week one, he goes 33 of 44, 344, two touchdowns and a pick. That's not bad, right? Then you take a look at week two against Philly, and he goes for 364, four touchdowns, no picks. Like, you can't put it on Kirk here. Week one, you only score 17 points. Eh, didn't help. And then week two, we'll get into it in a sec. But the bigger loss for me has to be Cincinnati. If you told me the Vikings got upset, you know, if you told me a couple weeks ago, the Vikings were 0-2, they got upset by the Buccaneers, I'd say, yeah, I believe it. I mean, this is a team that got upset in the first round of the playoffs against the Giants, and it was so widely picked to happen that I started to wonder if it was actually even able to be considered an upset, right? It's hard to believe. However, Cleveland putting a statement out there week one against a team that I got going all the way to the Super Bowl, a team that has been to the Super Bowl in years past. Massive story. And it's something to keep an eye on as they go to take on the Baltimore Ravens in week two. Bigger story, gotta be the Bungles. Number two, bigger story. And this is kind of a positive spin, but not really. Bigger story. New England Patriots' close loss against the Philadelphia Eagles or the Seahawks' blowout loss at home. Mind you, Seattle Seahawks, playoff team last year. The Rams were a shell of themselves, and they were without Cooper Cup in this game. And then I believe during the game, Puka Nakua, who came out of nowhere, 10 catches a buck 19, he looks tremendous. Believe he suffered an injury during this game. Tutu Atwell goes for a buck 19 in this game. Kyron Williams, who goes for two touchdowns in this one. Cam Akers goes 22 carries for 29 yards. Very, very impressive. Um, no, but in all seriousness, where was the offense from the Seahawks? They're winning 10-7 at half, and they get blanked in the second half. 23 to zilch. Our boy Gino goes 16 of 26, 112 and a touch. Kenny Walker, 12 carries for 64. Mix in four catches for three yards. Nothing much out of DK Metcalf. Tyler Lockett was a participant. Two catches for 10 yards. I mean, this was a this was kind of shocking to me. And I'm not really someone that was a super believer in the Seahawks last season. I was, I was hesitant, I will admit. Only two sacks in this game. Um, Stafford goes for 330, but three touchdowns on the ground. Nakua came out of nowhere, but they knew what Tutu Atwell was in terms of his athleticism. It's not like Van Jefferson or Tyler Higby had huge games. It was Nakua and Atwell pretty much exclusively 
mixing in some running from Williams and Akers. I don't even know. I'm, you know, it's not long ago that Seattle was damn near unbeatable on their home field. I'm not saying they're that team, obviously, but the Rams without Cooper Cup and they go out there and stomp you, it, it gives me cause to pause. Now, the reason I say there's a positive spin as we push through the bigger story, the first three parts of the standout seven, is this New England Patriots game. They're down 16 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. This game looks done and dusted. It looks chalked. They're going to, not only is Philly going to cover the spread, they're going to cover it by two times, three times. You're going to have fans booing all over the place. The rest of the game, the Patriots outscore the Eagles 20 to nine. And late in this game, they're in it and they have the ball. So... I tend to think by default this has to be the bigger story because I'm not necessarily a believer in this Patriots core. I'm not a big Mac Jones hater like everyone else. But, I mean, this game starts with a Zeke Elliott fumble on his first carry as a Patriot. You know, Mac throws one of the other team in this game. This was not a flawless game at all. Then, when it comes down to it, late in the game, a Patriots receiver has a chance to get a first down and keep the game going. Just a little too big on the cleats he's rocking. Kayshawn Boutte. Is it Boutte? I heard them calling him Booty on the broadcast. And am, am I in the wrong here? Maybe I made the assumption, because this is an LSU guy, that we were going with the, you know, the, the Boutte. Like they had Burrow, Joe Burrow, but with the R-R-E-A-U-X. Was, did he become Boutte down there? Right? Yeah. I think this is this is a big game for the Patriots, especially with the Jets taking a hit. Look, I know they beat the Bills. We'll talk primetime games as usual. We'll get there. But with them taking a hit with Aaron Rodgers going down, maybe the Patriots can sneak into this AFC wildcard hunt a little bit deeper than I expected. 35 of 54. I don't know if I love Mac Jones throwing the ball 54 times. 316, three touchdowns and a pick. If he throws the ball 50 times, you're almost guaranteed to have an interception on that stat line, right? I mean, it's hard for any quarterback to drop back that many times and not turn the ball over. You're talking about Mac Jones, comfortably in that middle tier of QBs, 50 attempts against a Philadelphia Eagles team that was just in the Super Bowl, right? Um, A big loss for both of these teams, but in a good way for New England. I'm taking New England, maybe sneaking up on us. Number three in the standout seven, let's get positive with it. The Atlanta Falcons, bigger story here, keeping the theme, the Atlanta Falcons' victory at home over division rival Carolina Panthers, or the New Orleans Saints sneaking away with a home victory against the Tennessee Titans. Let's start with the Birds. Um, It was an efficient offensive performance. Let's put it that way. Desmond Ritter goes 15 of 18, a buck 15 in a touchdown. Not going to knock anyone's socks off, but again, didn't turn the ball over through the air. Tyler Algier, two touchdowns on the ground. Bijan Robinson, 56 yards. He looked good. That receiving touchdown was clean. He looked pretty darn good out there. Kyle Pitts chipping in a couple of snags. Mac Hollins is down there. Drake London was a participant, even less than Tyler Lockett. Zero catches for zero yards for Drake. But you know what? At the end of the day, he looked up, and the Dirty Birds had more points than the Cats from Carolina. And that's all that mattered. Also, 
Speaking of the Bungles, Jesse Bates, former Cincinnati Bungle, two interceptions in this game. Is he going to be a massive addition? Is this going to become a season-long Jesse Bates defensive player? No, probably not. Jesse Bates is a darn good player. It's a good add. On the other side for the the Cats from Carolina, uh, Miles Sanders looked all right. The running game actually didn't look that bad. 27 carries for a buck 32 out of Sanders and Hubbard. That's pretty good. Uh, Hayden Hurst, your leading receiver, touchdown, throws the ball in the stands, kind of like a take that to my former team. Oh, by the way, it was Bryce Young, the high draft picks, first career touchdown. They had to get that ball back. Uh, A little bit of egg on the face. Not how you befriend your quarterback, but, you know, I'm sure Bryce is thinking I'll throw some more. It'll be okay. As I said, 20 of 38, a buck 46, a touchdown, two interceptions, three carries for 17 on the ground. Nothing really super impressive um, out of Bryce Young, but it's his first game. We'll give him time. Um, I wound up flipping this pick as we were doing the pick'em portion back to the Dirty Birds, and I'm glad because that team that was almost a playoff team last year, it looks like that core is still there, and they look pretty good, if I'm being honest. Um, Kudos to the Atlanta Falcons. In a winnable division. Oh, by the way, also in that division. The New Orleans Saints down at the renamed version of the Superdome. I think we're at Caesars Superdome now. Derek Carr, 23 of 33, a touchdown and a pick, because of course. On the ground, 18 for 45 for Jamal Williams. Remember, no Alvin Kamara for a few weeks because of the suspension. Not sure I mentioned that last week. Didn't really see too much out of Taysom Hill. We'll see him as the season goes along. Chris Olave, who was my pick for Offensive Rookie of the Year at the beginning of the year last year, looked darn good. Eight catches for 112. Rashid Shahid, I can't say I'm super familiar with your game. I'm going, you know, the Shaq goof here from inside the NBA. I apologize. I wasn't familiar with your game. He looked great out there. He looked explosive. Five catches, 89 yards, and a touchdown, along with two carries for 11 on the ground. 100 all-purpose. We take those. Michael Thomas looked like Michael Thomas in spurts here. Five catches for 61. Not bad. He was running his slants, doing his thing. Juwan Johnson, three catches, 36 yards as well. I think the Saints team looked pretty good. I really, truly do. I mean, Ryan Tannehill looked awful. Just under 50% completion percentage, 16 of 34, just under 200 yards, three interceptions. Um, Yeah, DeAndre Hopkins had seven catches for 65. Good for him. Derrick Henry with 17 touches for 119 all-purpose, including a big catch. So, good for him. It's good for the fantasy owners out there. Tennessee, man, 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 man. You doubled down with the Tannehill. You re-upped with it. And I don't think that's going to pay off. Um, I don't think we're going to touch much on that Jacksonville Colts game. Jacksonville looked gettable in that game, but when push came to shove, they're still pretty good. Um, Tennessee, I think they're going to be turned into somebody off the pinery probably Six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks? How how high are your expectations for the team is what it comes down to, right? Because if you didn't think the team was going to be good, you can let Tannehill run out there and do his thing. Um, or, I guess the flip side of that would be if you didn't think the team was going to be very good, you run the kid out there as quick as humanly possible. Which I believe their youngster of choice would be Will Levis, who was discussed ad nauseum in the draft process as being kind of a, I believe, raw prospect here. Depending on the comp, big arm out of Kentucky, 
43 touchdowns, 23 interceptions, 11 rushing touchdowns in his time with the Kentucky Wildcats. I think we'll see him on the football field before it's all said and done. So to answer my question, the bigger story? Well, I expected New Orleans to win. They held on. It was tight, but they held on. It's got to be Atlanta, showing that they've still got that grit. They've still got that fight in them. Good for the Dirty Birds. And before we move on to some of the more news and notes parts of the episode, let's go prime time games. Uh, Sunday Night Football, the New York Football Giants forgot that they had a game. Um, they didn't. They, they didn't show up at all. I'm, I'm not certain that they're aware that the season has started. Uh, Daniel Jones looked awful. He looked like he had regressed significantly. The New York Giants had a tremendous first drive where they were running the ball, doing their thing, and then they completely forgot for the rest of the first half what they had done to get down the field on that first drive, which resulted in a blocked field goal, by the way, that was returned for a touchdown. Um, Yeah, no, I, I, I stand by. It's too early to pull the ripcord. I stand by this New York Giants team will be good. They will be. If Daniel Jones has truly regressed like he looked in that game, I look, I get it. Dallas pass rush looked good. Evan Neal looked horrible on the right side of the Giants O-line. Andrew Thomas got hurt. I get it. Injuries, yada, 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 right? However, I stand by that this team has improved. This team is good, I think. So, when I say that, 40 to nothing is the most shocking outcome either way winning or losing in this game I uh, goodness gracious wow I turned the game off not as a fan but just as an analyst as well quote unquote analyst commentator quote unquote whatever word you want to use pundit podcasterer right to throw a broken word at it there was nothing to be gained there was no new content for the show to be gained in the second half of this football game um you want to talk about a nightmare first half. I don't think the Giants... They got dominated on the scoreboard, obviously. 26 nothing in the first half. But there was a defensive score and a special team score. They gave up 13 in the first half to Dallas in terms of defensively, which is not awful. There was some bend but don't break in there. But the offense had no answers. There was nothing. And, like I said, I'll put the capstone on this and something I've already, I'll just reiterate. If Daniel Jones is going to play this way and, or the offensive line is going to play this way for the New York giants, they are going to be an awful team. I do not think that is the case. I think this was the worst. You will see them all year. That's not a hot take. Obviously when you lose 40 to nothing, I think this will easily be the worst performance you will see out of the giants the entire season. Hands down. And I reiterate, They were driving on this Dallas Cowboys team, running the ball predominantly. What do they do to start the second drive? Throw, throw, throw. Bonehead. Classic New York Giants football right there. Um, What other primetime games did we have? We already talked about week one Thursday night football. Let's talk Bills and Jets. Actually, back burner that. We'll talk Bills and Jets last, and then we'll head into the Rodgers discussion. So let's go Vikings-Eagles first. We'll break the chronological order shtick here. Um, 
I alluded to before that Kirk Cousins played a decent game, 31-44, four touchdowns. Uh, truly, I don't think Minnesota played poorly. They are the Justin Jefferson touchdown off the scoreboard or out of bounds at the goal line off the scoreboard at the end of the first half away from being tied in this game late in this game. And they got almost nothing out of Alexander Madison in the run game. Now, granted, I've said before, you know, we'll see some more out of Madison. It's You're running into a team that has Fletcher Cox and a pretty good defense after running into a team with Vita Vea. The passing game is working. We don't need to run as much. TJ Hawkinson looked great. I still don't understand. I will say this every time he does well. I don't understand the logic behind Detroit trading him midseason in division. I am flabbergasted at that move, and that move will come back to bite them for years to come. Justin Jefferson looked good, 11 for 159, obviously with the fumble out of the back of the end zone, notwithstanding. Jordan Addison, who I thought is going to have a great year, looks pretty good so far. 3 for 72 and a touchdown. Let's look at the Fly Eagles fly side of the ledger. DeAndre Swift, oh, by the way, just, I don't know, 175 yards on the ground. Are you joking? 175. This team runs for over 250 yards. Hertz goes 18 to 23, a buck 93, a touchdown and a pick. Not a very good pick, mind you, either. It was bad. Uh, Devontae Smith, four catches for 131. He was pretty much their entire passing game. Some frustration on the sideline from A.J. Brown, but that'll happen when you're, you know, playing a tight game and you don't really feel involved in the offense per se. But it's hard to keep the receivers involved in the offense when the other team is giving up five-plus yards per carry. I I reiterate, 250 yards on the ground. Oh, sorry, 259 if you include Rashad Penny here. 259 on 48 carries. Oh my god. That is a thrashing in the trenches. Utter dominance from the Philadelphia Eagles. Their blocking, their offensive coordinator strategy in terms of the run scheme. Everything went right. And it wasn't even just Hurts. Hurts had two rushing touchdowns, by the way. But he goes for 12 carries for 35. I mean, he's not crazy numbers. It was DeAndre Swift a castaway from the Detroit Lions. Thrashing the Vikings. Should the Vikings have won this game? No. Um, I would put this in the same camp as the Patriots from last week, except I wouldn't give them as much bonus points. The Patriots, they shouldn't have been in that game. They shouldn't have. Philly should have dominated them. This game, the Vikings, you're a playoff contender in the NFC, right? You were a division champion. You might have run into this team in the postseason if you had, you know, defended home turf and then did your job. That's not the case. You needed to be close. They were close. They're just not good enough. That's about right. Now, as I alluded to, let's talk Monday Night Football from New Jersey. Aaron Rodgers sprinting out onto the field with the American flag. Mind you, this game is being played on what was the 22nd anniversary of the September 11th attacks. The crowd was as riled up and amped up as humanly possible. Rodgers doesn't make it out of the first quarter. And of course, you have a deleted tweet of some guy saying that, you know, oh, he's going to tear his Achilles in the first quarter, and that they don't even know who that guy is, trying to track him down. 
they think he's some entertainment industry guy. There was conspiracy people saying that he's he's some guy that knows. He works for like Warner Brothers or something. He leaked the script. People love to say everything's scripted. Um, you know, maybe that's just the way we are, right? We like to look for patterns in certain things, and I can't blame them. Um, you have some random guy predicting down to a T the injury that a superstar is going to sustain almost to the minute. He said two and a half hours from his six o'clock tweet it was going to happen. Anyway, Josh Allen was was stinky. Stinky awful. Stinky like he just had... His dinner was Taco Bell with chocolate milk. It was fudge the huggies to the umpteenth degree. This was a nightmare opening game for Josh Allen. Three interceptions and the fumble. He was the team's second leading rusher. He threw for 236 and a touchdown. Um, Single-handedly loses his team the game. Right? Do we need to go into deeper analysis on this one? If they had any quarterback, pick one, in the NFL that is starter caliber, in your opinion, they win this game. Because quarterbacks don't, turn the ball over four times. We could bash Kirk Cousins all we want. Kirk Cousins didn't turn the ball over four times against the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are better than the Jets. I mean, it's absurd how poorly he played in this game. And then, the even more absurd part, is late when it mattered to push it to overtime, he looked like Josh Allen a little bit. And they doink in a field goal. They get the ball... They punt it away, and then the undrafted free agent kid, Xavier Gibson, from the hard knocks clips and everything, where they were saying, you know, you had a great run, but it's an uphill battle, kid. And he looked like he had just, you know, watched his dog walk out the door for the last time. They say, yeah, but you're going to have to stick around. You made this team. It was awesome. And I mean by the textbook definition of I was truly in awe of what I had just seen. Tremendous. Did Zach Wilson play great? No. Did Zach Wilson play about how well you expected him to play? Uh, yeah. Well, look, here's the thing. If I showed you two stat lines, let's say you didn't watch this game, and I said, yeah, Zach Wilson came in, Rodgers got hurt, and I showed you 14 to 21, 140, a touchdown and a pick, and I showed you 29 of 41, 230, a touchdown and three picks. Which one would you pick as Zach Wilson? Let me know. Comment section if where you're listening has one or social media, all social media at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Now, personally, I'm not certain. I think the number of attempts would have given it away. But if I saw those three interceptions, I think, oh, man, one of them probably went for a pick six. Bill started racking it up. Maybe they got ahead early, you know. All in all, 14 to 21, 140, a touchdown and a pick, a game, go-ahead touchdown, that is, late in this game to Garrett Wilson. Great play from Wilson, but hey, it still counts. Um, Yeah, I, I think as a Jet fan, considering you just lost your star quarterback and likely your chance at winning a Lombardi trophy, after that happened, this went about as well as it could for you guys. I'm not even trying to be cheeky or be that guy. Like, in all seriousness, you just beat the Buffalo Bills. You beat the boogeyman in the division. 
so to speak. Not the boogeyman to the level Tom Brady was, but the team that is at the head of the class in the AFC East, going into the season at least. Brees Hall looked tremendous, right? 11 touches for a buck 47, can't beat that. Dalvin Cook looked good. 16 touches for 59 yards, not bad. Um, Yeah, and, and Josh Allen looked absolutely atrocious. Will he have a worse game all season? I, I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't bet on it. Big win for the Jets. If we would have put this in the bigger story, I probably would have had bigger win Jets over the Bills or Dolphins over the Chargers. It easily would have been the Jets. Easily. However, as we move out of the bigger story portion of the standout seven, that brings us to number four. Uh, excuse me, number five. And number four was primetime. What are the Aaron Rodgers list Jets going to do? These are some options I have seen thrown around and or options that I think they could consider. Via free agency, I heard people immediately mention, or rather he mentioned himself, Colin Kaepernick. Um, I'm not going to go down the road here of the Colin Kaepernick discussion. I just bring him up because he brought himself up, as he is inclined to do. Teams in the NFL wouldn't sign you when you were active, when they had film on you, when you weren't aged out. I can appreciate you putting your name out there. If you still want to play, I I get it. Or maybe you just want a little publicity. I get it. It's not going to happen. Nor at this point should it happen. That ship has sailed Magellan around the world. It's not going to happen. Free agency. Carson Wentz is another name. And I would say Carson Wentz is an improvement on Zach Wilson. Is he a massive improvement? I I don't know. When Carson Wentz was Carson Wentz, of course he is. Last year he played seven games, 11 touchdowns, nine picks. Last year, Zach Wilson plays in nine games, six touchdowns, seven picks. Right? The year prior for Wentz, by the way, he's only 31. Age 31 season, that would be. The year prior in Indianapolis, his lone year there, in which they melted down against Jacksonville, I get it. He goes 27 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. Now, if you look at the totality of Carson Wentz's career, there are 7 seasons, right? Rookie season, 16 touchdowns, 14 picks. Last year in Philly, 16 touchdowns, 15 picks. One year in Washington, 11 touchdowns, 9 picks. You know what the other four seasons are? 33 touchdowns, 7 picks. MVP candidate gets hurt. His team wins the Super Bowl. Next year, 21 touchdowns, 7 picks. Next year, 27 to 7. And his year in Indy, 27-7. Does the guy look great all the time? No. Oh, by the way, career completion percentage of 62.6%. Zach Wilson's career completion percentage is 55%. Now, the more I listen to myself talk, the more I tend to think I really should be saying Carson Wentz is quite the improvement on Zach Wilson. The reason I can't say that is I'm not sure which Wentz you're going to get. 
Not to mention, this is coming from me, who was a big proponent of Carson Wentz still being a decent, talented player. I do think he is pretty good. Which Carson Wentz are you going to get, is the question. If I'm the Jets, I kick the tires. Then you get into retired guys. Someone said Big Ben Roethlisberger. No. Don't do that. Just don't. Ben looked old. He looked like he was ready to go. He's never played for another team. I doubt he'd want to play for another team. Don't make the phone call. It's not worth it. It is truly not worth the minutes on your phone plan to try and convince Ben Roethlisberger to somehow come to the New York Jets. By the way, Ben, his final season, when I said he looked old, 22 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. I get why you'd make the call. Don't do it. Just don't. Another name, who, oh, by the way, made his broadcasting debut this past weekend. How about one Matthew Matty Ice Ryan? No. I would say of the people I've suggested thus far, we'll keep Kaepernick out of it because obviously there's other reasons why he wouldn't be a candidate. I would rank Wentz, maybe then Ben, then Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan did not look good. 4-7-1, 14 touchdowns, 13 picks last year. He did not look good. He did not. And this is coming from me, who was suggesting a massive blockbuster deal with Matt Ryan winding up with the Washington Commanders, not this offseason, the year before. Matt Ryan, former MVP, former Rookie of the Year. You had a good career? No. Let's not do that. Alrighty, so that brings us to the trade list. I saw someone suggest Matthew Stafford. I do not think that is possible. I don't think the Rams, who by the way are just coming off a big win, would look to move Matt Stafford. However, the man did sign a four-year, $160 million contract. I saw this suggested, I want to say, on either ESPN or the NFL Network. Maybe it was somewhere on CBS in an article. Whoever wrote it, no. Because the amount of money that would come with his contract, you had to talk Rodgers into cutting some money. This guy's making just as much, if not more. Like, what are we doing? Completely unreasonable. Completely unreasonable, in my opinion. Would he be good? Probably, but let's not go there. Then you have someone on the Washington Commanders. By the way, a lot of Washington Commanders ties in this little discussion. Jacoby Brissett. I've considered Jacoby Brissett right at the high end of backup quarterbacks for a couple of years now. Now, in Brissett's experience in Cleveland last year, he started 11 games. 12 touchdowns to 6 picks, 2,600 yards. They go 4-7. and seven. The year prior, he starts 5 games, 5 touchdowns, 4 picks, 1,283 yards. Team goes 2-3. and three. I think he's got a pretty decent arm. He's got some mobility. And I, I could see this being someone who is gettable, especially considering Washington is on Sam Howell. That's going to be their guy all year, you'd assume, barring an injury. Do they like Brissett's veteran presence, let's say, quote-unquote? Perhaps. But does veteran presence mean he's not available? Probably not. 
I would kick the tires on this one. I truly would. The other one that I think would come to mind when you're talking about backup quarterbacks um, would be Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater nowadays is rolling around as the backup QB for the Detroit Lions. Is Teddy the guy that he was when he led the Minnesota Vikings to the postseason? No, and we will never know what Teddy Bridgewater could have been. Were his stats astonishing in his second season? No. 11-5 and five as a starter, 3,200 yards, 65% completion percentage, which is healthy, 14 touchdowns to 9 picks. Now, mind you, last year he started two games, he went 0-2, 4 touchdowns, 4 picks. The year prior, in Denver, he goes 7-7, seven and seven, about a 67% completion percentage, 3,000 yards, 18 touchdowns to 7 picks. He's doable. And you'd assume that a team like the Detroit Lions, who are a quote-unquote contender, um, I would say they're a contender, excuse the quote-unquote, no sarcasm for you, Lion fan. You did just beat the Chiefs. I'm just messing with you. You'd assume that they'd want a competent backup in their room. However, if the Jets are willing to blow them away with an offer, maybe that's someone who is gettable. And I think, realistically, that needs to be considered if you're the New York Jets. Additionally, another name that I have seen thrown around. Famous Jameis Winston. I love this idea, mostly because I love watching Jameis play football. And I'm not saying, look, I sound like I'm joking, but I'm not. Jameis Winston is the only man in NFL history. I will say this will never happen again. This will never happen. You will not see another player throw for 5,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions. And he did it in a 16-game season. And his team almost had a winning record doing it. Jameis Winston, look, I mean... In 21, he goes 5-2 and two as a starter in New Orleans. 14 touchdowns to 3 picks. What? That's not the Jameis we know. And look, if you remove the 30 touch, 30 interception season, rather, he's 19-14, to 19-11. Like, his interception numbers are high. I will grant you that. But, I mean, you're talking about a guy in Zach Wilson who started 22 games and he's thrown 18 picks. So what's the difference? You want to take Zach Wilson and you want to try and build him into something? I get it. That's why they kept him around. That's why they didn't ship him off to Arizona for a fifth-round pick or a sixth-round pick. They kept him on board, let him learn from Rodgers. I get it. Is it going to peeve Rodgers for some reason if you you somehow bench Zach Wilson again? The kid's been benched like four times in three years. What does it matter? What does it matter to him? Rodgers is going to be the starter next year if he sticks around. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about young QBs getting jobbed a little bit here and there. Give Jameis a shot. Why not? It's Jameis, it's Teddy Bridge, or it's Jacoby Brissett. I mean, like I said, you're not going to get Big Ben. You're not going to want to get Matt Ryan. You're not going to call Eli or Peyton Manning. Tom Brady said he's not interested, obviously. Patriot fans didn't like he left. You think they're going to like that he played for the Jets? Kaepernick's persona non grata. You want to go for Cam Newton? Uh, maybe you'd have to change your whole offense. To to, and I don't know if the athleticism's still there. Maybe it is because he hasn't been taking hits for a few years. Wentz is interesting. Jameis is interesting. 
I'd go, if I had to rank these, in terms of fun, number one would be, you know, get one of the retired guys because it'd be hilarious. But in terms of good on-the-field product, and oh, by the way, it's going to help our team, I might, I might lean towards Jameis Winston at number one. Then, just because he's also the most recent starter caliber quarterback. Then Wentz, and then you can toss up between Brissett and Bridgewater. I'd probably lean towards Brissett at this point because I've seen more of him more recently. But Teddy Bridgewater's got some quality game management skills. He seems to be a pretty smart guy on the field most most times. Maybe not all the time, but most times. I'm going to lean towards Jameis than Wentz. If the Jets are going to salvage a contender season. Look, they can make the playoffs with Zach Wilson. Is there going to be some kind of massive progression that we've seen? Like Daniel Jones from two years ago to last season? I doubt it. But if he can manage the game and maybe be the Padawan to Rodgers' Obi-Wan on the sideline, right? The old man in the in the coat. Can't go out there. He can help shepherd you along. There's not many others who've, who've accomplished what he has. It's possible. They could be a playoff team once you get in. If you're defense first, you never know what happens. You force some fumbles. You catch some interceptions. The Giants have done it. Pittsburgh has done it. Plenty of teams have done it and rode it all the way to a Super Bowl. Denver Broncos, late Peyton Manning. Defense first team. Just don't turn the ball over. Don't mess it up. That's all he's got to do. And look. He turned the ball over once against Buffalo, but Josh Allen turned the ball over 19 times. He probably threw another pick on the plane on the way home. Like, if your defense, and it's not reasonable, it's not reliable to expect your defense to force that many turnovers in one game, but if you can minimize your mistakes, it maximizes their chances of putting you in a good in a good position and giving you good opportunities. Look at what the Giants did last year with Daniel Jones taking his magical step to the next level that came out of nowhere, and he looks awful in week one. But the fact of the matter is, less turnovers is one of the things that helped the Giants take that next step. Because without Jones turning the ball over a bunch, the team was able to just play loose and do their thing and all that, yada, yada, yada. They didn't have to worry about him setting them back over and over and over. Pretty good when you don't have to worry about that. Number six in the standout seven, and this is an inexact science, and I'll just present some facts for you, really. I don't really have much of an opinion on this one. Uh, The grass versus turf debate rages on. Uh, This is in regards to the Rodgers Achilles injury, and we'll talk injuries, which there were many in week one. We'll talk injuries to uh, close out our standout seven here in a second. But, yeah, you know, it's, it's tying back to in April even, of this, you know, this year, J.C. Treader with the NFLPA was talking about how turf is better. There's less injuries with turf than there are with grass. And he was talking about something or other with physics. And you know what? I'll defer to him because he's a Cornell guy and he's got a whole bunch of Cornell people in his family. Sure. Whatever. Why not? Um, the NFL uh, stated that there was a minuscule difference in terms of the injury rate, the numbers that were presented via Treader in April and reiterated now state that, that was a, and they're basing it off of an outlier season and that the reality of it was that grass was safer. Um, okay, maybe. 
Let me know what you guys think. Are you, do you guys run, like, landscaping companies, maybe? Are we got any landscapers in the audience that are big fans of the show? Shout out to you guys. It's a hard job. Anybody that knows anything about grass and or physics, let me know what you think. Um, is it a thing where the owners are being cheap and they don't want to buy new turf or new grass? Maybe. I'm sure that's what people would say. Probably. I don't know. Um, whatever. I feel bad for the players who go down, but I, I don't know if changing this will do it. I don't know. Also, if you can rely on data of that sort. I know the league has a cleat policy. That's be one of my questions. Because I know in things like baseball or in golf even, the cleat variety is relatively high. Like, a, a quarterback's not going to wear similar cleats or maybe spike length as, like, a kicker or a linebacker. So I don't know how you can iron it down to just the one variable of the grass versus the turf. I think you're dealing with something that has a significant, significant amount of variables, and you're trying to get an answer out of it because it'd be convenient to do so, but at the same time, I'm not certain that you can really do that. I'm not certain you're going to get a great answer. I'm not certain you're going to get an accurate answer blaming it on the turf or blaming it on the grass. It'd be like blaming concussions on whether the player is wearing X face mask or Y face mask or whichever helmet design they like to use. You know, Eli Manning always had the extra padding. Is that why he didn't get a concussion? Or did he get lucky? Gets his hands, his head slammed in the turf all those times against San Francisco in the championship game and pops back up like it's nothing. Is it something to do with bone density? Like, you're talking about a field that has so many variables and it's hard to pin down constants that we can agree on. I get it. If you were to say, Oh, well, well, let's make them all turf and let's make them all grass rather. Okay. But then what does someone blame it on when someone tears their Achilles? Because it can happen. What do they blame it on when someone tears their ACL? Oh, that was just bad luck. Because if you believe that they'll say, oh, it was just bad luck, then I disagree with you wholeheartedly. People always look for something to blame, something they can change, something they can try and fix, and I respect that. You're trying to make it as safe as possible for your fellow players, somebody, like I said, like J.C. Treader, somebody with a union. I understand completely, but I'm not certain that a multi-million dollar undertaking on the owner's parts is going to do that. In the interest of clarity, by the way, Let's discuss the stadiums with grass and the stadiums with turf. And if anything jumps to your mind, comment section or social media, let me know a, pl a significant injury you can recall anywhere on one of these stadiums. So these are the stadiums with artificial turf. MetLife in New Jersey for the Giants and Jets. SoFi in California for the Rams and Chargers. AT&T Stadium for the Cowboys. Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the Falcons. Seattle Seahawks Lumen Field. The aforementioned Caesar Superdome with the Saints, Lucas Oil Stadium with the Colts, Energy Stadium with the Texans, Ford Field in Detroit, Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati, Highmark Stadium in Buffalo, Bank of America Stadium in Carolina, Gillette Stadium in New England, and U.S. Bank Stadium in Minnesota. These are the stadiums with natural grass. Lambeau Field in Green Bay, Levi's Stadium in San Fran, or Santa Clara, I should say. 
Lincoln Financial Field in Philly, Acrisure, formerly known as Heinz Stadium in Pittsburgh, State Farm Stadium in Arizona, which, by the way, we had a big discussion about the grass at the Super Bowl. That was grass, by the way. Remember that? That was grass, and they said people were slipping and sliding and they couldn't get a pass rush and yada, yada, yada. Grass. Okay, anyway. Allegiant Stadium in Vegas, Giha Field at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Nissan Stadium, new name change, didn't realize it was Nissan, in Tennessee, FedEx Field in Washington, which has been complained about ad nauseum, Soldier Field in Chicago, First Energy Stadium in Cleveland, Empower Field in Mile High in Denver, TIAA Bank Field in Jacksonville, and the M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore. Do any of those things ring a bell to you guys? Doesn't really for me. But you know what? We had to mention it. It's an ongoing discussion, and I'm sure it will be an ongoing discussion this time next year as well. I don't think it's going anywhere. Now, before we move on to the injuries, of which there are plenty, and we'd like to touch on quite a few of them, let's feel obligated to talk about Kadarius Tony again. I think we talked about Tony in the last episode. Um... After, you know, he cost his team the opening game. But then he came out and they said that he was doing a little trolling of the New York Giants fans. Maybe talking about his uh, his Super Bowl ring and yada, yada, yada. Um, why? Oh, why? Now, I understand why the New York Giants fans would go back at Kadarius Tony, And I guess I could understand why Tony would go back at them after winning the Super Bowl. Because he believes that the team's training staff wasn't helping him properly or adequately, or maybe they were babying him too much. Um, Kadarius Tony has been in the league for two years prior to this season. He has played in 19 games. Right, His rookie year, he had 39 ca- catches, no touchdowns. Last year, no postseason included. I know he had the Super Bowl. 16 catches, two touchdowns. There's a lot of coverage of a dude who, look, he's quick out there. He's quick. He's not a bad player. But, like, come on, guys. Can we can we throw some more shine on some more deserving players? Like, we talk about, like, what it was, Jordan Addison have, like, two touchdowns in two weeks, right? Can we, like, talk about Jordan Addison or something? Right? Isn't that great? Is he going to be the number two out there? Can we talk about Tyreek Hill? having 735 receiving yards against the L.A. Chargers. Can we talk about that one? By the way, we went the whole episode without talking about that game. The game was amazing. I mentioned last week I thought it was going to be my game of the week. I know it's not really a hot pick, but my gosh, was that a good game. And the Chargers somehow don't find a way to move the ball at the end of that one. We should have worked that one into the standout seven. That's that's a botch on my part. And I'm part of the problem here. Here I am. I'm talking about Kadarius Tony instead of talking about a huge game between the Dolphins and the Chargers. What am I doing? It's the squeaky, the squeaky wheel getting the grease, right? Like, it's the guy that, that shoots his mouth off a little bit, and they want to talk about it. And, of course, now in the social media age, the fans are going to be trolling left and right and back and forward. I mean, imagine some of the stuff Terrell Owens did, like the, the sit-ups in the driveway. And some of that stuff, if we were in an entrenched of a social media society as we are now. Imagine Twitter, or X as I should say, when Randy Moss mooned the crowd at Lambeau and Joe Buck 
was having heart palpitations in the booth. I mean, imagine social media if in another sport. When Pedro Martinez threw Don Zimmer's old pudgy self to the ground. What are we doing? Let's shut up about Kadarius Tony, And let's see if Kadarius Tony can have himself a functional NFL career. I mean, there's plenty of guys who have accomplished plenty in the NFL, and they're kind of forgotten. They fall by the wayside. Kadarius Tony's talked about way too much. I get it week one, you know, he has a bad game. You want to talk about that? Sure. But then that's it. Like, Giants fans, I get it. You like taking the victory lap on him, but he did go out there and win the Super Bowl. Right? So realistically, he should be thanking the Giants, right? They put him in there. Win the Super Bowl. Hey, whatever. Whatever. We're moving on. That's the end of that. We're going to do injuries, and then we're going to go into the pick portion of this week's episode. J.C. Horn, defensive back for the Carolina Panthers, out indefinitely with what is believed to be a potentially significant lower body injury. Deontay Johnson in Pittsburgh is going to miss some time as well. Obviously, we discussed Rodgers' Achilles injury. J.K. Dobbins of the Baltimore Ravens tore his Achilles as well, which is a huge one. Cooper Cup, obviously going to miss at least four. We talked about him on the IR. Jack Conklin of the Cleveland Browns tore his ACL and MCL. He's done for the year. Chris Jones ended his lockout not but a handful of days after the Chiefs lost in week one. Didn't get an extension, didn't get any extra years. I don't believe he got it in writing that they can't franchise tag him either, but they gave him a couple million in incentives. Okay, cool. Um, Austin Eckler supposedly battling an ankle injury. Cam Hayward in Pittsburgh to IR. Chase Young is going to be back this week on a pitch count. We talked about him often injured as well. Travis Kelsey going to be back for the Kansas City Chiefs. Either way. Let's move on to my favorite part, your favorite part of the episode, the pick'em portion, here in week two of the NFL season, episode number 169. And let's get started with an AFC North showdown from Paycor Stadium. Paycor Stadium, what a name, in Cincinnati. Baltimore going to be without the aforementioned J.K. Dobbins, as well as some big names. Without Tyler Linderbaum, their center with an ankle, Ronnie Stanley with a knee injury, and two in the defensive backfield, Marlon Humphrey with a knee and Marcus Williams with a pec injury. Also questionable tight end Mark Andrews with a quad. Bengals, on the other hand, listing three is questionable. Running back Chris Evans with a hammy, DN Joseph Osai with an ankle, and linebacker Marcus Bailey with a knee. That's a lot of big injuries for the Baltimore Ravens. It's going to push me towards the Bengals. If I'm being honest, I came in, came out of week one wondering where I was going to lean in this game because Baltimore looked pretty good against Houston. They didn't look like world beaters, but it's week one. It's a tune-up game, the NFL equivalent of a cupcake matchup. Um, now they're going to be walking into Cincinnati. Huge game. Cincinnati's going to have a chip on their shoulder after losing that one to Cleveland. I don't think Cincinnati lays another egg in this one. Give me Joe Burrow with the EAUX to win this one at home. Next, we got another one of those matchups I love to talk about, the Birds versus the Cats, as the Seattle Seahawks head to Detroit to take on the Lions. Seahawks can be without offensive lineman Charles Cross with a toe injury and two on the defensive side. Big one, safety Jamal Adams with a knee and D-end Mike Morris with a shoulder. Questionable two linebackers, Boye Mafe with a knee and Devin Bush with a shoulder injury as well. 
The Lions going to be without four. D-lineman Josh Paschal with a knee. Emmanuel Mosley with a knee and hammy. And Khalil Dorsey, also in the defensive backfield, with an illness, just listed. Uh, doubtful offensive lineman Taylor Decker with an ankle injury. I think Seattle's got to bounce back, right? But Detroit looked darn good in week one. And I think Detroit might just be the better team. Give me Detroit to win this one at home. Now, I will say this. It wouldn't shock me if DK Metcalf and or Tyler Lockett got some deep plays involved here. But considering Kansas City couldn't pull it off against them, and they really draw up some pretty good deep shots for their guys, and they've got some speedsters, I'm going to take Detroit. Yeah, let's stick with it. Next, we've got an AFC South matchup for, well, basement supremacy. Let's call it as the Indianapolis Colts head to energy stadium to take on the Texans. Sorry, Colts fans, but it's just the truth. Questionable for this one. Tight end drew Ogletree with a concussion and a big Q on the O line. Quentin Nelson with a toe Texans going to be without two safeties. Jalen Petrie with a chest injury and Jimmy Ward with a hip questionable, kind of a big deal for the Texans. Their young QB CJ Stroud with a right shoulder injury. Laramie Tunsil on the O line with a knee injury and linebacker Neville Hewitt with an illness. I was going to take the Colts in this one anyway, but seeing Stroud and Tunsil on the injury report makes me even more confident in the Annapolis Colts, bringing this one home on the road. Next, we got a battle of the Bees as the Bears head to Tampa Bay to take on Baker and the Buccaneers. Bears listing just one, doubtful DB Josh Blackwell with a hammy. Buccaneers listing three, all on the defensive side. D-lineman Kalijah Kansi going to miss this one with a calf injury. Linebackers Servosia. Dennis with a hammy injury. Servosha? Let's go with Servosha. And corner Carlton Davis with a toe. Questionable safety Christian Ezian with a concussion. I thought the Bucks looked pretty good in week one. I really did, um, which means I'm going to bait myself into picking them and they're going to lose this game. But you know what? They're at home. Baker was reading defenses like the Houston Astros were reading pitches a few years ago, apparently. If he's going to be that locked in, give me the Bucks to win this one over Justin Fields at home. Next, we've got a big matchup between AFC contenders. The Chiefs looking to bounce back from their 0-1 start, head down to Saxonville at Everbank Stadium to take on the Jaguars. Chiefs listing two is questionable. Travis Kelsey with a knee, though I'm hearing he's going to go. Chris Jones is also a go. Uh, Their other questionable is running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire with an illness. Could be a big piece. Jaguars listing two in their secondary is out. Greg Jr. at corner with a hammy, and Antonio Johnson at safety with a hammy as well. Questionable, two O-linemen, one D-lineman. On the O-line, Brandon Scherf with an ankle. We saw him drop like a ton of bricks in that game last week against the Colts. Be a quick turnaround for him. Luke Fortner at center also with an ankle injury. And on the D-line, Tyler Lacey with a hip. Now, I, coming into this season, and we are still early in the season, so there's no reason for me to change my opinion yet, am a believer in this Jacksonville team. Truly. However, it's a tall task to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. It's an even taller task to beat them coming off of an extended break 10 days after their week one loss. Oh, by the way, it's a tall task to get them to lose two in a row. I'm not super confident. I'm not going to lie to you, but I am going to take Kansas City to win this one on the road. Next, we've got the Brett Favre Bowl, and it doesn't involve a second team that you think it does. The Green Bay Packers head to Mercedes-Benz Stadium to take on the 
Falcons. Yeah, I bet you were thinking Vikings or Jets. No, no, no. Packers listing a couple of players as a couple key players as questionable for this one. Aaron Jones with a hammy, who looked great in week one. Wide receiver Christian Watson with a hammy. Left tackle David Bakhtiari with a knee. And linebacker Quay Walker with a concussion. Speaking of concussions, linebacker Troy Anderson's going to miss this one for the Falcons. He's still in the concussion protocol as well. Questionable corner Jeff Akuda with a foot. If Jones doesn't go, it kind of changes the changes the outlook on this one, but I'm going to go Packers. I bought into Justin Fields in week one. I thought maybe they'd make some plays. Like I said, the Packers still have a pretty decent core in there. I like their defense. I like their running backs. Give me the Packers to make this one kind of gritty and steal one on the road. Next, the Las Vegas Raiders. Head out to Buffalo to take on the 0-1 Buffalo Bills. The Raiders going to be without Chandler Jones for previously discussed reasons here. Listed as just personal matters. And wide receiver Jacoby Myers with a concussion. Bills listing no one on their injury report. I don't see the Bills going 0-2 either. I don't see Jimmy G going out there and keeping up with Josh Allen unless he decides to go colorblind and throw the ball to the wrong team again. Give me the Bills to even their record at 1-1. Next in our final 1 o'clock game, we've got the Los Angeles Chargers, almost said San Diego, heading to Tennessee to take on the Titans. Chargers listing Austin Eckler as questionable, excuse me, doubtful for this one with an ankle injury, as well as three linebackers, Dayan Henley, Eric Kendricks, and Chris Rumpf II, all with hamstring injuries. Questionable linebacker Joey Bosa with a hammy. Titans going to be without two players in their secondary. Christian Fulton at corner with a hammy and safety Amani Hooker with a concussion. Questionable wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins already with an ankle injury and offensive lineman Peter Skaronski with an illness. Keeping with the trend, I don't see the Chargers going to 1-1. One and one. I know the tight, or excuse me, I don't see them going to 0-2. I know the Titans put up a great fight against New Orleans, and that was in New Orleans, and this one's going to be in Tennessee. Maybe Derrick Henry will run for like 200. Maybe Eckler's hurt. Maybe Justin Herbert throws the other team. Yada, yada, yada. At the end of the day, I think one of these teams is a legitimate playoff contender, and the Titans are kind of at the end of their window, right? Or close to the end of their window, depending on if they retool eventually here. But it'd be hard to do that in a couple of days. So for that reason, I'm going to take the Chargers to win this one on the road. Next, we head to our first of two 405 kicks. We've got the San Francisco 49ers heading to SoFi to take on the surprising 1-0 LA Rams. 49ers going to be without corner Samuel Womack with a knee injury. Rams on the other side. Questionable, their burst-on-the-scene wide receiver Puka Nakua with an oblique injury. Center Coleman Shelton with a toe. Linebacker Ernest Jones with an illness. And safety Russ Yeast with a knee. Yes, you heard that right. Um, I'm going to take the Niners. The Niners look tremendous against the Steelers. I was shocked that was a two-point spread going into the game. Probably should have bet my entire bank account on that, and then, well, then maybe we would have more than a weekly show because I could clear up some time if I had. Um, but either way, I'll take the 49ers to uh, cool off the surprising start the Rams have had. Speaking of cold starts, oh, wait, we were talking about hot starts. The New York football Giants head to State Farm Stadium, which has been a stadium they've enjoyed over the last decade plus, uh, to take on the Arizona Cardinals, who put up a decent fight last week against the Commanders. Giants listing two is doubtful. Linebacker Aziz Ojolari with a hammy and wide receiver Wandale Robinson with a knee. Wandale, who is 
really hasn't been on the field much for them since they drafted him at all. Questionable, this is a big one. Left tackle, Andrew Thomas with a hammy as well. Two out for the Cardinals, D-lineman L.J. Collier with a biceps injury and linebacker Josh Woods with an ankle. Questionable, O-lineman Kelvin Beecham with a hand. D-lineman Lecky Fotu with a shoulder. And safety, Buda Baker with a hamstring injury as well. I, I told you. Relax. R-E-L-A-X. Full Aaron Rodgers mode. The New York Giants are going to be a good team. Week one is the worst game they'll have all year. They're playing a 16-game season, New Yorkers. Game Week one, they forfeited. It didn't happen. Didn't happen at all. Turns around here. If they lose to Arizona, you have my permission to hit the panic button. But till then, calm down. They'll get to 1-1. One one. They'll be chilling. Give me the Giants on the road. Speaking of New York teams and Aaron Rodgers, the New York Jets at 425 head to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. Obviously, Rodgers is a no-go with the Achilles. Questionable for this one, their kicker, Greg Zerline with a groin injury, which is big. O-lineman Mekhi Becton with a knee. O-lineman Dwayne Brown with a shoulder. And running back Brees Hall with a knee. He looked pretty good in week one. I tend to think he'd be out there, but you never know. Cowboys, doubtful. Offensive lineman Tyler Smith with a hammy. Safety, Donovan Wilson with a calf. And two questionable, both on the offensive side of the ball. Offensive lineman Zach Martin with a groin injury. And wide receiver, deep threat, Brandon Cooks with a knee. I mean, come on. I'm not taking Zach Wilson to beat the Cowboys. It, it would be quite the coming out party if he kept this game close and didn't turn the ball over. I would say that would inspire a lot of confidence from a lot of people. I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe he won't turn the ball over, but I don't think they'll keep this one as close as they'd like. Then again, they are facing Dak Prescott, who does occasionally like throwing the ball to the other football team. So perhaps we get one of those sort of games where it's turnovers and it's like 17-10 or something, and we get a low-scoring, kind of semi-boring game here. Uh, either way, give me the Cowboys to win this one at Jerry World. Next, our only other 425 kick. The Washington Commanders head to Denver to take on the Sean Payton and Russell Wilson-led Denver Broncos. Commanders going to be without their corner, Jartavis Martin with a concussion. Broncos going to be without linebacker Frank Clark with a hip injury and tight end Greg Dulcich with a hammy. I don't know. I can't make heads or tails of the Broncos. I took them last week knowing darn well I shouldn't have. Um, here we are. Will I take them again? No, I think I'm going to take Sam Howell and the Commanders. They barely pulled one out against the Cardinals. I don't know. I'm not certain that either of these teams is very good, if I'm being completely honest with you. In fact, I tend to think they're probably not very good, but here we are. So, give me the Commanders to win this one on the road, because someone has to win. Next, our Sunday night football matchup. I did not expect a matchup like this this early in the season. The Miami Dolphins head to Foxborough to take on the New England Patriots. Questionable for this one. Offensive lineman Teron Armstead with that back ankle slash knee injury he was battling last week. Tight end Julian Hill with an ankle. Linebacker Jalen Phillips with a back who flashed on the screen last week if memory serves. And DB Elijah Campbell with a knee. The Patriots listing wide receiver Devontae Parker is questionable with a knee injury. Offensive lineman Mike Unwenu with an ankle, City So with a concussion, Trent Brown with a concussion, Cole Strange with a knee, and on the defensive side, just Jonathan Jones with an ankle injury. I was impressed 
with how competitive Mac Jones and the Patriots were able to keep it in week one. Not to the point that I'm willing to pick them here. However, if they keep it competitive again, I might have to put a note in the back of my head, both for spread purposes in terms of, you know, like I said, I mean, it's hard to win a lottery. It's not as hard to win a parlay, right? Um, But in all seriousness, maybe they're a little better than we expect, right? They went from pretty good with Mac to bad very quickly. Maybe they're back closer to that good side than the bad side. Either way, give me Tua on the road. Then we've got a Monday night football doubleheader. I'm a little surprised that week one didn't have the doubleheader, but I guess the way everything went together with Rodgers and, you know, it being September the 11th, maybe they just went to New York teams and the ratings were through the roof. So how many people tuned out about halfway through that first quarter, by the way, after Rodgers got hurt? That's what I wonder. Either way, our first of two Monday night football games, of which we are not going to have injury reports, obviously. The New Orleans Saints head to Carolina to take on the Panthers. I'm taking I'm taking New Orleans. I think New Orleans is the best team in that division. I think you can make a case for Atlanta. You can make a case for Tampa Bay. I think it would take Bryce Young skipping forward in his usual, in the usual rookie QB progression, you know? If they're good in the rookie year, it usually takes a little while. And if they're not, usually means they need a little bit of seasoning. I think this will be more of the seasoning and I think, although Derek Carr threw the ball to the other team once already, and I was trying to defend him, maybe he'll do it again. Um, I'm going to take the Saints to win this one on the road. Then we've got an AFC North matchup. The Cleveland Browns, fresh off of a huge Week 1 win, head to Pittsburgh off of a fairly big loss for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I think Pittsburgh will keep this one more competitive. I think this will be a gritty sort of game. In fact, I can see Pittsburgh winning this game in a relatively low-scoring, maybe mid-20s score sort of affair. Um, However, going to go with my gut. Going to go with the Cleveland Browns to win this one on the road. Next, our final matchup. I hope you were ready for the episode to end because this is a quick one. Week 3, Thursday Night Football, the New York Giants head to Santa Clara to take on the San Francisco 49ers. Leading into the season, I was thinking, well, the Giants either win or look good against Dallas, then they beat Arizona, then they can see this will be the weight check, the gut check moment, right? If you're good enough to beat San Francisco in a regular season game or keep it close, then you're good enough to do it in the postseason. After week one, I think week two is going to be some building in confidence, but then week three for the Giants is probably going to knock it back down. Give me San Francisco to win that one at home. All right, folks, so that'll bring us to the end of this week's episode, episode number 169 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. I hope you're all excited for week two of the NFL season. Hope you all enjoyed week one. Hope you all enjoyed this episode. If you did, stick around next weekend and join us once again for episode number 170. We'll break down all the games we just picked in the pick'em portion. By the way, last week we went seven and nine. We don't got to talk about it, but, you know, I keep track of these things, and I... We'll improve. We'll improve. Not everybody's in mid-season form at the start of the season. Look at Cincinnati. Either way, if you had a good time, thanks for sticking around. If you want to check it out next weekend, we'll be back with episode number 170, week three preview, breakdown week two. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.